Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow. Mad cow. Mad cow, mad cow, line dance Hey, Sangai Nation, welcome to the show here on another Friday afternoon. Sangai and QT with you as normal. There's a couple of shows happening out there. You have uh, PSW happening in Piedmont, Alabama later today. Tomorrow night, you have uh, wrestling in Pescaluga, Mississippi with Diamond Championship Wrestling. So if there's some wrestling near you and it seems like it's a safe idea to go check it out, definitely go support what the independents are trying to do as we come out of the lockdown. And without further ado, I want to welcome our guest today. He is a fine official out of Tennessee. He referees for numerous promotions in numerous states. Patrick Young, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, man. It's an honor. Thank you. Well, since today's your first time with this, I will start you out with our traditional first-timer question. What led to you getting into the business of professional wrestling? Well, I uh, was born and raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee, the home of Terry Bam Bam Gordy. And that was the big deal for me was I would see Burt Prentice and uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Burt Prentice would bring down and do USA Championship Wrestling from Nashville. He would come down to Chattanooga, and they all would book Terry Gordy. And uh, so for me, I had a lot of run-ins with him through Smoky Mountain Wrestling when they did their shows in North Georgia, Chattanooga, and, you know, Knoxville's not, but just an hour and 45 minutes away. And... It was just really cool, man, and he was a great guy, and I had I was running into him a lot, even going to the YMCA, because that's where he worked out, and he's just, as a kid, man, he was larger than life, and I had, we were an NWA household, and so NWA, then WCW, so I knew who the Fabulous Freebirds were, and so that was, that was cool, man, that was just really awesome, and that's what opened the door for me, was like, I got to do this. Now, you've been in quite a few different promotions in your time in the wrestling business, and we all know that in different promotions in different parts of the country, fans like different styles of wrestling. They like uh, different genres of wrestling. Do you have a particular favorite style that most attracts you to work I enjoyed going up uh, about three or four years ago. I went up and did a show for Harley Race, and uh, it was the Night of Champions when he had Ric Flair there, and I just happened to be there and got brought in to do a match, kind of last-minute thing. I I wanted to go because I had been around Ric Flair 
numerous times, but I had never met Harley Race, and I just felt like, man, this is a great honor. It's a great honor and opportunity. And so I drove up to St. Louis and uh, ended up kind of working behind the scenes in the show and doing some stuff, uh, not in ring wise, but still. Um, that was just really cool. And Bobby Eaton, Bobby Eaton, um, who now is back in. Uh, Knoxville, but Bobby Eaton at the time was staying up in St. Louis, and Bobby Eaton is a huge, huge friend of mine and a great man, and Bobby Eaton is exactly what Stone Cold Steve Austin and a bunch of others have come out and said, Bobby Eaton is the nicest guy you will ever meet in this business, and Bobby Eaton went out, out of his way for a little greenhorn like me, and a high school gymnasium in Knoxville to say, hey, here's my phone number, give me a call. And that was it, dude. And Bobby Eaton, we I did a lot of work with him, uh, kind of rubbing elbows with him and some of his people and uh, Brian Thompson. And just that, that's the thing, is to get that rub from somebody and then to have one of your heroes look at you and say, hey, man, you're doing a good job even as a referee. Keep up this hard work. And so that was that was really cool. And... So, yeah, it just Bobby gave me a call and said, hey, you know, come on up. And I did. And it's the first time I'd ever had anything to do with World League Wrestling. And, unfortunately, you know, Harley has passed. But, God, their their style is just – it's far-fetched beyond more than you could imagine. It's a lot more of the old-school, you know, style mentality. And Harley Race always said, shut up and wrestle. And that that was his motto for World League wrestling and and shut up and wrestle so i I liked it i enjoyed it it uh it told you it taught young kids to tell a story with their matches not necessarily grabbing a microphone ever 10 seconds al as someone that's been around for a while we know that in wrestling Injuries are just a natural part of the business. You're going to get some if you're in there for any length of time. As a referee, have you had very many injuries yourself? I have. I've uh, quite a few broke noses, a couple of concussions. Uh, Luckily, I haven't had any serious broke bones, but uh, just the basics of a of the concussions and and things like that, I've been lucky. Let's put it that way. I've been very lucky. I'm sure you've also been in the ring when some of the wrestlers have been injured. What's some of the more serious injuries you've seen during the course of a match you officiated? I was a part of a Taipei death match. And that was one of the most brutal things that I have ever been a part of. It was to the point that I wear amateur wrestling shoes. I don't wear wrestling boots. I don't wear tennis shoes. I feel that I can grip the mat and move around better in the ring with amateur wrestling shoes. And during that match, there was so much blood and there was so much thumbtacks that when I got to the back, I was picking it out of my feet. It had gone through my shoes and all the way into my feet. And uh, that was probably the most brutal injuries that two men suffered because they just laid into each other. 
and shredded basically their entire faces off. It was it was bad. It was very bad. That sounds like a rough day at the office right there. <laughs> that was that was rough, man. That was rough. Now in this day and age, we know a lot more about bloodborne pathogens than we did even just five to ten years ago. There's been controversy in wrestling on if there is a place for blood in the sport anymore or not. Where do you personally stand as far as having blood in matches in this era of wrestling? Well, a year before WWE ever implemented it and before TNA ever implemented it, I was using gloves whenever an opponent got busted open because I understood that. I came from that background of, of understanding that. And so when they implemented that, I thought that was great for the business as a whole. Blood is a major part of of wrestling. It adds to a match so much more than you could ever imagine. I think one of the, the most recent matches is when you go back and you see Cody Rhodes against Dustin Rhodes, and they had that big buildup a year or two ago, and they just bled like, Stuff pigs. I mean, they're just pouring blood. But you know what? It told a story. It had meaning. It wasn't just them going out there and beating the hell out of each other. It it told a story. And I'm all about story wrestling. I love the fact of watching WrestleMania 25, Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, because that's, that's a story. From start to finish, you can put on a match that tells a story. And you're not having to say a word. Your actions are doing it. And I think that's great. Speaking of Cody and Dustin, they, of course, are the cornerstones of AEW, which has been running for a little bit over a year. They are about 10 months on national TV there on the TNT network. They've been putting out some quality product all the way through, including here in the uh, pandemic era. What do you think of the AEW product overall? I think AEW is owning the wrestling business right now. I genuinely think that. I think that they have Tony Khan, Cody Rhodes, uh, the Young Bucks, just all of them. They have put together something that is groundbreaking, but classic, new, but you know, but a little bit old school. It um it, it has a WCW feel mentality to it, but at the same time, it's it's so new and vibrant that I think it's going to work. And I think it's it's I think it's already working, but I think it's going to work to where Vince needs to needs to really start paying attention, man. That this company is here. It's here to stay. Tony Khan is he's got the open checkbook. And it's the closest thing to my belief of WCW will ever get again. One of the things that has been a staple in pro wrestling since the beginning of pro wrestling is the Battle Royal. I know some people on the 
business side of wrestling enjoy battle royals. Some of them do not. Uh, fans typically enjoy a battle royal. As a referee, do you enjoy doing the battle royals? And do you see any specific uh, criteria for doing a battle royal that you wouldn't normally have to do in a standard match? Yeah, as a battle royal, if you're from the referee standpoint, it's kind of difficult because you don't want to be blocking the crowd. So you got to kneel down and you got to, you know, your your face level with the ring mat. And you're trying to make sure this audience behind you can still see and pay attention to what's going on. And But, yeah, I love doing Battle Royals, man. I think they're great, uh, very entertaining. There's not a Battle Royal that I'm not a part of that I don't think of, of somebody like Andre the Giant or Big John Stud or one of those types that uh, if even if you want to go back to Haystacks Calhoun, uh, if you can't tell, I love uh, the history of wrestling. I'm a very big wrestling historian, and uh, so that that's that means a lot to me to be able to be a part of something like that that these great guys have been a part of and basically broke ground on. I mean, the Battle Royal was more or less put together to make Andre the Giant just stand out among any others back in the territory days. So I thought that was, you know, that shit's cool, man. I love professional wrestling more than anything, and I love the history of professional wrestling. And so, yeah, uh, but back to your question, looking at the mat, and, you know, your eye level with the mat, making sure the fans can see you, it's, it's very different. It's very unique. But, yeah, I enjoy it. In the area where you are in the southeast part of the United States, the fans tend to be a lot more into professional wrestling and a lot more uh, vocal when they are displeased. It is a different climate usually than you find in other parts of the country. Have you had to deal with irate fans during the course of your career? I have. Uh, I also have done a few actual wrestling wrestling matches, and I'm also known as a manager to some degree as well. But I'm I'm I've held many hats in in professional wrestling. But uh, one night to build a story, I um, had a nightstick and I attacked a man's valet uh, right in the back of the neck. I hit her straight square with the nightstick and uh, proceeded to stand over her and just keep plowing away. And then I grabbed the microphone and said, I hope I broke her neck. And they had to escort me out of the building because I had caused a riot. So in the South, they're, you know, they're very protective of women, and they're very protective of the fact that if they like you, they like you. If they don't like you, you're not going to get away with jack squat. So, uh yeah, I've I've been in a few crazy scenarios with fans, a couple jump in the guardrail, that kind of stuff, where fans get into it a little too much. But, but yeah, that was probably the most recent one that it really got way out of hand. When you have a fan jump over the barricade and they're trying to get in the ring, 
historically the referee was the first line of defense and would have to attempt to stop that fan until security got them. Did you ever have to do that role and take a fan down and hold them until somebody could take them away? I have. I have done that. And uh, my – I try to pay attention and stop it before they even get in the ring. Uh, I've caught a couple of guys right in the temple with a kick and made them see stars just enough for security to be able to get to them. So that way I didn't have to get too out of hand with uh, with stopping the match or other people having to get involved or all that. But there's been one or two that's actually got into the ring that I've had to take down and put a chokehold on until security got there to grab them. Here's the thing. For most fans that don't understand, let me go ahead and throw that out there. You hear it, but you don't actually understand it, I think, at times, or some don't. Once you cross that guardrail, you're in my business. You're in my territory, and all bets are off. You can stand over that guardrail, and you can cuss me. You can spit at me, whatever. But when you cross that guardrail, all bets are off, and my hands are not going to be responsible for what happens to you. One of the other things about pro wrestling that has been going on since the dawn of pro wrestling and it has been and remains to this day controversial is dating within the business. We've seen lots of examples of relationships that have been destroyed because of the wrestling business. Uh, We've seen a few examples of where things worked out and there were happy endings of it. On the independent scene, it seems like it's the same as all the major companies where uh, there's the inevitable inter-office dating. Do you have any personal opinions on the relation of dating in professional wrestling? Uh, No, not really, because it's, I mean, you're going to like you know, who you like. You're going to want to date whoever you want to date. And when you're confined in a car with, you know, four other people or a van with, you know, six other people and three of them are are girls and are females and you're going up and down the road and you're sharing hotel rooms and you're trying to make your 20 bucks and get your name out there, dating's going to happen. And, uh, you're going to be like, hey, you want to go grab a burger alone? Yeah, okay. You know, it happens. It does. And there's, that's not really going to stop. I mean, now, uh, if you ask, hey, you want to go grab a burger, and she's like, no, then don't. It's done. Let it go, you know. But, uh, but I mean, dating's going to happen. There, There's no way to prevent it. You know, uh, look at Ric Flair. Ric Flair, uh yeah, that speaks volumes in itself, that you're either dating while you're on the road or you're getting divorced because of the what's going on when you're on the road. So, well, We have a game on the show that we like to play. We call it Bring On to Choice, Bring On to Funk. I will ask you a series of two options, and the one that you most prefer personally is the answer are you prepared to play around and bring on to choice, bring on to funk? Yeah, man. 
All right, here we go. Suplex or body slam? Body slam. Pin or submission? Pin. Tights or singlet? Tights. Jazz or wrap? Jazz. Pie or cake? Pie. Zoo or museum? Museum. Jim Duggan or Jimmy Snooker? Jimmy Snooker. Clawhole or Full Nelson? Clawhole. 18-foot ring or 16-foot ring? 18. All right, and that concludes the round to bring on the choice, bring on the punk. Now, as someone that has done multiple roles in wrestling and several promotions, I'm sure you're aware of the importance of a good ring announcer. They're the face of the company. They are who the fans usually look at, whether rightly or wrongly, is sort of the authority figure on a show a lot of times. Uh, they're vital to getting information to fans so the fans know how to support the company and spend their money. I'm sure you've been around a great number of them. Who are some of the better ring announcers you've worked with that you think should be getting more opportunities? Well, I've been in the shadows of great ring announcers such as Howard Finkel and things like that. But uh, there's a new wave of, I can't pick out one specifically, but there's a new wave of uh, younger indie female ring announcers that are coming up that I think are doing fantastic. And I think that that's a, you know, that's a great opportunity to be a ring announcer as a whole, because I've been there. I've done that for indie shows. It's a hard job, believe it or not. It's a hard job. And I think that it is fantastic that we have this new wave of ring announcers. It's like valet. You know, how long was it you didn't see a valet? Now we're starting to see, you know, Penelope Ford on AEW and things like that that are valets are starting to make somewhat of a comeback. And I like that. A manager role as a whole is is something that every wrestler to some degree is going to encounter in their in their career. One of the places that I believe you hit in your day is Ohio Valley Wrestling, and they, for the last 20 years, have been one of the more major independent companies and training centers. Uh, They've changed ownership a few times in the last decade or so, but what do you feel about what OVW is doing current day? I haven't actually kept up with OVW current day. Um, I I was just lucky enough to have been a part of one of their shows when they came to Knoxville, and I got the call, and Jim Cornette needed a referee, and I had had a few run-ins with Jim in the past, and Jim Cornette has now we've gone on to, to become somewhat, you know, friends, acquaintances, I guess, more than just, hey, I'm sitting in the locker room with you. At least we know each other's name, let's put it that way. Um, But 
No, uh, uh, I got that opportunity, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. I made what you know the best of my opportunity, and I'm sitting there with Danny Davis, who was there at the time. You know, everybody knows you know the wrestling referee Danny Davis, and I like I said, I'm looking over in the corner, and there's Bobby Eaton, and Bobby Eaton obviously was impressed with what I did that night. So um, it was it was a great honor to be a part of it, and. Uh, they haven't really came back down south. I don't know what went down that, around that time, or they, ha- or at least not anywhere near close to me. And uh, but I would love to get back and, and see what talent they've got and what talent's coming up. Well, at this point in time, my co-host QT Vokes is standing by, and I know he has questions as well. So I'm going to pass things over to him. Hey, what's going on, man? Patrick, I'd like to congratulate you for your participation with Sign Guy on Bring on the Choice, Bring on the Funk. You were our rare participant who stuck with one, the one-word choice and, then, and did not explain the choice. This only has happened like six times in our last six years where the participant picks uh, or chooses a choice and sticks with it and says nothing else. Would you like to play a expanded word associate? I mean, bring on the choice, bring on the funk, a short version. Yeah. Oh, okay. The first one, Big Cat, Ernie Ladd, or King Kong Bundy? Bundy. Bundy, okay. Uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, or the office space. Fast time, Ridgemont High. <laughs> okay. Snickers or Twinkie? Snickers. All right. And the last one, county fair or? County fair. Okay, county fair. You did very well in our expanded version. Very nice. Okay. Well, Patrick, how many wrestling T-shirts do you have and would one of them be uh, uh, from a wrestler known as Pineapple Pete or the wrestler no- formerly known as Sugar Dunkerton? How many T-shirts? Uh, I have uh, probably four or five hundred. I mean, I have them. I have them back from when I was. You know, a young kid wearing my Goldberg or DDP shirt or wearing my Four Horsemen shirt back in the late 80s. And those those were those were packed away at my parents' house. Those weren't – so, I mean, if we're counting those in there, yeah, probably about 400. Wow. I, I was going to ask if you, if you specifically, specifically hired a closet organizer just for your T-shirts. That was my next question. <laughs> No, my my parents pretty much took care of that. The vacuum seal bag really is a great thing for wrestling T-shirts, just FYI, because that will seal up and take a lot, take away so much extra space that you can just stack it on top of each other. It's in one part of the closet and go on about your business. So uh, that that's basically what my mother did was vacuum seal uh, those vacuum seal Ziploc bags. And so that's where a lot of my wrestling shirts are. 
Uh, I still have my few that I wear. You know, I love my Andy Kaufman shirt. I wear it all the time. Uh, I'm a big Memphis guy, and uh, I'm a big uh, world-class guy. So, Wow. Did you ever get to meet Andy Kaufman? I did not get to meet Andy Kaufman. And that's uh, – I've said it time and time again. The feud between Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler is – Number one, my favorite feud of all time. And number two, i it's the first time I actually sat down and broke down step by step, event by event, and the thought process behind it to make people do what they did to get people to pay closer attention to it. I mean, that thing ended up being on national television. And for that to be in the... You know, in the time frame that it was in, and it get that much exposure, that speaks volumes for itself. Yeah, I liked it where he uh, was out in Hollywood, and he was by his poolside, and he um, was uh, ripping on Jerry Lawler, and he said, come here, uh, you are a woman, and and he goes, how tall are you? And the woman replied, six foot two, how much do you weigh? And she said something like 250 pounds. And he goes, see, Lawler, she's bigger than you are. Look what I'm going to do to her. And he wrestled her to the ground by the pool. And someone came out and said, stop it. You're going to hurt her. Remember that? Yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) Yes. Oh, okay. Now, uh, of all your T-shirts, you mentioned 400 or 500. How many are autographed? Oh wow. Uh not many that I can actually remember. I actually have a lot of eight by ten autographs. That's where I really collect. Uh anybody name wise that I've done a show with, anybody legend wise that I've done a show with, anybody that I feel has immense potential of turning into something great, I get a picture with them and I get an eight by ten autograph of them. And here's why. Because you got in this business because you're a fan. And being a mark, you're a fan. If I'm sitting there and I'm looking across the you know, the room and Bobby Eaton sitting there, hell, I'm gonna go up and introduce myself and say, Listen, hey, I'm a fan. I, I just, you know, I wanted to congratulate you for everything you've accomplished in wrestling. I wanted to thank you for the sacrifices that you gave to to do what you did for me to get in this business. And I want to say uh, the best of luck to you as well and things like that. You know, you're a fan, so don't use the term Mark. I I absolutely hate that. Um, But going back to your question, no, I do a lot of 8x10s. That's more my thing, autographed-wise. 8x10s, okay. All right, that's, that's good. Okay. Well, Patrick, many wrestlers had an acting background in high school. Did you yourself belong to a drama club in high school? Not really, no. I was more the uh, the sports athlete type. I didn't really do a lot of drama. Um, I was brought in one time, one year only, to do uh, the school play as a as an escaped convict. We were doing, a, I don't even remember what it was back then but uh i was the escaped convict and the only reason was because they didn't have somebody big enough 
to be able to play that part, and they were like, "Oh, hey, you're you're doing it." So, but no, I didn't do a lot of drama. Okay, all right. Are you are you a big fan fan of the cult classic by Roddy Piper, "Hell Comes to Frogtown"? No, I'm not. I'm a bigger fan of They Live. Oh, okay. They Live is the greatest movie, in my opinion. <laughs> yes, it, it it was very futuristic. I think Piper has for, for, foretold the future. Yes, absolutely. But no, I love They Live. I probably know that movie word for word. Wow. Okay. All right. How many of your T-shirts in your collection would you trade to have an original print or an original uh, uh, f- film reel of They Live autographed by Piper? How many T-shirts would that mean to you? Ah, uh, it autographed by Piper. Three, three hundred, four hundred. I'd probably give. I for, for for Piper, I'd probably give give it all because I respect what that man did. And I was a huge fan of Roddy Piper. Holy smokes, that's a lot. Okay, all right, very good. Okay. Well, Patrick, you were raised in on Smoky Mountain Wrestling and East Coast Wrestling in general, speaking of Piper. Can you tell us your earliest memory of West Coast Wrestling where such wrestlers as uh, Roddy Piper, Rip Oliver, Sam Oliver Bass, Jesse Ventura, and the Kangaroos were in their 20s when they got their start. What was your earliest memory of West Coast wrestling? Ah, man. I think it was right around 94, 93, 94, somewhere right in there. uh, We had the winter of 93. The blizzard of 93 hit the entire East Coast. And there wasn't anything on TV. And NASCAR had stopped, which is a big thing here in the South, obviously. Or back in the day it was. It's crap now. But um, sports had stopped. Wrestling was pretty much had stopped. And so I'm flipping around as a kid, flipping through the television with me and my my dad and mom and came across some, some wrestling from out West and – it was more uh I don't even remember the name of it truthfully. I think they had like maybe forty, fifty people and it was done studio style. But um it's I enjoy uh championship wrestling from Hollywood right now. I I think that's doing great things to build young talent. But to go back to the uh out west stuff, that that was probably my earliest memory of it. Okay, 94. 94, I believe I remember that blizzard. I was stationed in Governor's Island, New York, and I remember having to uh, wade through snowdrifts about up to my kneecap to serve breakfast on a Coast Guard cutter, 1994, at Governor's Island, New York. Because of all the mountains here, it got trapped in, and so it just kept piling and piling and piling on top of each other, and we ended up having it to where it was almost, I guess you could say, five feet. And as a kid, I mean, I couldn't go out in it because 
I'd freeze to death. I mean, I went out into it as it, you know, right when it was going on at like the two feet mark, but it just got so big. As a kid, I remember, I mean, I don't know the exact measurements or whatever, and that's been 20-something years ago, 30-something years ago practically. Um, but, yeah, I just remember, you know, looking out the window and seeing it just keep going and going, and it's over the front door, and it's over the – you know, it's up to where the windows are now, and it just, I had never seen snow like that or since. Wow, nice. Okay. Now, was this in, when you were in Chattanooga? Yes, I was born and raised and still live in Chattanooga to this day. Uh, very proud to be in Chattanooga. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's great because we're right here, we're in between the mountains of the Smoky Mountains, and you're in between the the mountains of coming off of trying to head out west towards, you know, Nashville, because you have Mont Eagle Mountain, you have Lookout Mountain, you have the Smoky Mountains, you have the Blue Ridge Mountains. Chattanooga is just basically engulfed in mountains. And so once it's here, it's not like it's got any place to melt away and run off to. It's kind of like, well, the sun's just going to have to melt it. And uh, that's kind of the situation we were in. I mean, Chattanooga is a, a huge, a huge city. You know, don't get me wrong; we're, it's not like a small town. Um, but you know, I go back to been lucky enough to see you know film reels of Harry Thornton and uh, News Channel Twelve at the uh, Memorial Auditorium here in Chattanooga with, uh, you know, Luthez coming in and promoting shows and Harley Race uh, coming in and, you know, Pistol Pez Watley. And, you know, like I said, Bobby Eaton, he was trained by Tojo Yamamoto and his first match was in the Memorial Auditorium here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, he says. And so that's, you know, there's a huge wrestling history here in Chattanooga and here in the Tennessee itself and the Tennessee Valley. And so, yeah, no, I, uh, I it just looking back, man, that was, it was a wild ride. It was a very wild ride for a lot of people. We were without power for, I would say <laughs> almost a week. So, you know, Whoop. think back on that, me, mom and dad, a Coleman lantern and a Coleman stove, and we've basically sealed off the entire house to just the living room. And so me, mom, dad, and the dog. And that's what we had all, you know, for almost five five days to a week. Jeez, man. That, uh, what, what, now, I know this isn't a wrestling question, but what altitude is Chattanooga at? Are they at about 1,000 feet? 1,200? Uh, I would say so, yeah, because I don't know the exact number off the top of my head. But, yeah, I would say so. I mean, because those, those dips, you ask any truck driver, and they're going to tell you the worst trip you ever have to take if you're driving an 18-wheeler is going over Mont Eagle Mountain because it just you're on top of it, and then you drop off, and you drop off. There's more 18-wheeler wrecks coming off of Mont Eagle Mountain than anywhere in the entire United States of America. And that's how much of – that's how the – I mean, that's just how basically the mountains are around here. Um, 
so it's it's a pretty big you know we're we're pretty low down down there in between everybody else we're not high up unless you you know you're climbing the mountains or going up in the mountains oh okay all right okay a little bit of geography i learned today very nice okay well pat we at turnbuckle turmoil have a hall of fame and one of our recent inductees was the taskmaster kevin sullivan have you yourself ever met the taskmaster kevin sullivan i have i uh met him it was wrestlemania 33 weekend in orlando and we went to wrestlecon and i looked over in the corner and happened to have saw him and my buddy alex goes oh hey man there's you know there's this person, there's that person, there's this. And I was like, no, fuck that. Pardon my French. I was like, there's Kevin Sullivan over there. And so that I made a beeline for there. And uh, Kevin Sullivan was definitely, I guess, one of, the, one of the guys growing up that just terrified the hell out of me. And so, <laughs> I mean, no, I'm not exaggerating. Uh, he really did. He just scared me to death. And uh, if you look on my Facebook page, I'm sure there's a picture out there with me and Kevin Sullivan, but I just got to go over and pick his brain for about 10 minutes. And so that was really cool. That was that was a pretty cool ordeal for me. But, yeah, Kevin Sullivan, I think, did uh, did some great stuff with uh, with his stuff in Florida, you know, people actually believing he was a devil worshiper and all this. Um He's, you know, running around with snakes and stuff. If you look back in the archives, um, Kevin Sullivan was ahead of his time, way ahead of his time. Wow. All right. Well, I'm glad we inducted him into the Turnbuckle Turmoil Hall of Fame. That was a wise choice. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, Patrick, I saw your YouTube video entitled Beautiful Bobby Eaton and the Centerfolds. And this was posted to YouTube on July 13th, 2015, and it took place for SSPW in Eaton, Georgia. Now, at the 42-second mark, one of the centerfolds bulldogged you into the mat face first. This was after beautiful Bobby took a cheap shot on you to put you down on the mat in the first place. Do you remember which centerfold went to the top yeah. rope did a leg drop on you? Uh, yes. Who was the, who was that that did a leg drop on you from the top rope? That's what I'm asking. Okay. Uh, that was Frenchie Riviera, better known as Big Bubba back in the day. And if you look back in your Pro Wrestling Illustrated, uh, Keith Arden. He's better known as Keith Arden. Uh, his brother, John Arden. And uh, Luke Patterson is the one that that DDT'd me, and uh, Frenchie Riviera at at that time was I would say 350, and hit an Alabama jam off the top rope, and uh, but that was one of those things, man. Like you know, hey, I called Bobby. We're at this show, and it's when I say it's small, it's small. I mean, we were doing well to draw 30 people. And they asked, you know, hey, we got to get somebody in here. I was like, okay, we'll do a cage. And I picked up the phone and called Bobby. He's like, hey, I'm there. And 
we set this thing up to where as a referee I kept getting I just kept getting nailed every single Saturday night to where I'd had enough and I was bringing in my own personal bodyguard and that was beautiful Bobby and uh so he gets there and then you know obviously money talks and he turns on me and but uh that was that was a tribute night I guess for for us as the boys to pay tribute to to someone like Bobby Eaton. And you say that move that uh, uh, from the top rope was the Alabama jam? Yes, that's what Bobby Eaton's top rope leg drop was. And that was the reason Frenchy Riviera went up to do it, uh, to pay tribute to to Bobby. Bobby Eaton always used the uh, DDT, the swinging neck breaker, and the Alabama jam, which was the a top rope leg drop, which I think the last person I've seen use it with God, what was his name? Um, mm. What was the dance? Some dancing dude in WWE. I don't know. Anyway, uh, he called it the last dance. Fondango. Oh, there yeah. you go. Fondango. He was the last one Fondango. that he does the top rope leg drop and the Alabama Jam. That you know that was the original right there. Was Bobby Eaton. Did that stun you into semi-consciousness? <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually uh, busted my face a little bit on the side of my nose. Um, yeah, it was not. It was not something that. Yeah, hey, it happens. Okay, stuff happens, but uh, it was. Everything was good. Everything was fine. But it was a memorable moment um, for me to be able to share the ring with one of my heroes. And so, uh, but and, and also for, I'm sorry, do what? You had to go for it at that time, yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that was, that was the thing. It wasn't just for me. It was, you know, the boys in the back there too. It was like, man, this is, Patrick actually pulled this off. Patrick's got him coming, you know. We we definitely wanted want to do something for him. And I think that night, which is a small town, man, small town, Eton, Georgia is maybe three hundred people at that, and every single person in town was there that night. So uh I was Yeah. I was I was driving in and out uh every Saturday night for a little bit, um just to put on the show and uh help with it. Uh, it's no longer a show anymore, um, but that show was done in a tiny little barn, if that gives you an idea. There you go. Wow, a barn. Okay. It was in a barn. It's not even – this isn't a building. This isn't – this is a barn. So there you go. Holy smokes. Were there any chickens running around this barn <laughs> named Bernadette? Bernadette there was not, no, 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 there was not. <laughs> I only, I only up once or twice, but that was about it. Okay. I only <laughs> ask you this because there's a tag team out here in Idaho called the Spud Brothers that has that have a chicken named Bernadette. That's that's a reason. Really? Well, I'll need to, I'll need to check into that because I'm intrigued now. 
I'm all about well, I, some 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 animal mascots, so I, I need to check that out. Well, I think Sign Guy can uh, send you a video of the Spud Brothers that you will find very entertaining. The Spud Brothers. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, Patrick, I also saw your YouTube video entitled Balthazar at Superstars of Wrestling 2 in Rome, Georgia, USA 2014. Now, the announcer said that Balthazar was from Switzerland. Were you able to confirm that he was from maybe Geneva? I have no idea. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. Brother, I have no idea. It's the first time I've ever met him, and it's the last time I ever met him. I have not done a show with him since. So I do not know. To be completely honest with you, I have no idea. Okay. Patrick, before Balthazar made his appearance, two druids walked down the ramp holding what looked like fiat steering wheels, and they set the stage for Balthazar's entrance. My question is, have you seen the movie Spinal Tap? And if so, did you see them perform the movie Stonehenge? That, you know, yes. Now that you mention it, there's a lot of similarities there. Okay. Well, Patrick, in your opinion, could these two druids that uh, flanked the entrance uh, ramp that Balthazar Balthazar walked down, could they be the same druids that danced on the Stonehenge stage as youngsters? Could they have grown up and continued this druid type thing? (laughs) Possibly. Oh, okay. Possibly, who knows? Well, Patrick, given the the fact that Balthazar was probably a vampire, did you have cloves of garlic under your zebra stripes to keep Balthazar at bay? No, if he came near me, I was just going to rip his things up. Whoa, wow. Holy smoke, okay, all right. Well, Patrick, did Balthazar remind you of the WWE superstar Gangrel? Did he remind you of him? Very much so. Wow, all right. Very much so. Okay, all right. Well, Patrick, we often talk about entrance music on this show. Um, uh, And do you believe there will one day be entrance music for referees? I, I hope not. And here's why. You can't have a match without a referee. The referee is the third person in the ring or the fifth person if it's a tag team or the ninth person if it's a four-way tag, whatever. You can go on and go so forth. But um, the referee is not there to get the shine. The referee is there to help add to a match. Uh, I know you go down the line, uh, there's Danny Davis, you know, referee Tommy Young from NWA, you know, you got Earl Hebner, uh, some legendary referees that people know uh, by name. 
But uh, I think that that's kind of where it needs to stay. I don't think that referees need to be having entrance music or things like that. Okay, well said. And and I have asked that question before uh, for other referees, and they pretty much mirror your answer and are uh, in agreement there. Okay. Well, well, Patrick, it's been good talking with you. I will send myself a reminder to Sign Guy to hopefully send you a, a video of the Spud Brothers. And uh, if you have time, you might want to go back and look up a Spinal Taps Stonehenge song. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> okay. And stay away from that Belfazar. He looks very spooky. Yeah. He he was he was a little out there. All right. Okay. Back to you, Sean Guy. Thank you, QT. Well, Patrick, we got a few minutes left, and I want to make sure you have ample time. So, if there's anything you want to say to our listeners, plug and promote. Anything and everything, any upcoming appearances, social medias, merchandise, your favorite bakery, anything in the world, floor is all yours. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Patrick Young or Patrick Young Wrestling. You know, it'll show me with uh, Tommy Dreamer and Stevie Richard. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Ref. Patrick Young, but you can definitely check me out even more at Retro Wrestling Podcast. Uh, listen to us, you know, on there. We have a great podcast that we've been doing for quite a few years now, and uh, three or four. And so it's going to it, it's 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 the Howard Stern of uh, of podcasts. Let's put it that way. We are. We are unfiltered. If there is a curse word that offends you, do not listen because we will probably say it. Um, but, yeah, check it out, Retro Wrestling Podcast uh, with me as, you know, referee Patrick Young and intern Alec. Uh, you can find us at RetroWrestlingPodcast.com online. Retro Wrestling Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And we are proud to be sponsored by Power Slam TV. Uh, if you go to Power Slam TV, the, uh, put in the discount coupon code of Retro Wrestling, and you'll get a month for free. So we're, we've been very uh, honored to have teamed up with Power Slam TV for the past year. So you definitely want to check it out. It's um, it's uh, it's probably the, the next step from the WWE Network. So they have a ton of footage from indie scenes, from uh, documentaries of like high spots and things like that. So powerslam.tv, uh, use the promo code Retro Wrestling, and you'll get a month for free. Patrick, I want to. Thank you very much for being on our show today. We appreciate having you with us, and I want to wish you the best of luck as you continue your career. Maybe at some point we'll cross paths in a locker room somewhere. Absolutely, brother. I look forward to it. I do, too. 
fans, definitely check out the podcast. And if Patrick's going to be officiating on a show near you, go support him. Buy yourself a ticket and watch some wrestling. If you see some wrestling happening near you and it seems like a safe thing to do, go support the independents as they're easing back into live events. Maybe pick up some merchandise for some people if you happen to know a wrestler has some available. Continue to support. And we want to mention at the end here that we suffered a loss here in the wrestling world in the last few days. A few days ago, Dangerous Bull Don Basher, who most listeners of this show will know as legendary wrestler out of Indiana, promoter and wrestler for WCWO in Indianapolis, father of Joey Kid Owens, grandfather of Jonathan Wolf. He passed away at the age of 60 just a few days ago. Uh, we want to send our best wishes to his family and all of his colleagues and all of his fans. Uh, he definitely will be missed. And as we wrap up the show, we're going to toll the bell ten times in honor of the dangerous bull, the original Indiana kid, Don Basher. <laughs> 